6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of Proverbs, chapter 31. Okay, we are in the final session of the book of Proverbs. And interestingly enough, chapter 31 deals with the words of Lemuel's mother. Not only is it King Lemuel, but if you pay attention, you'll notice he's just recounting what his mother taught him. And it's a very different kind of chapter in some respects, and yet very similar to the others in other respects. The outline of the book of Proverbs, obviously we've been through the first nine chapters, which contrasts wisdom and folly. Then we had the, the direct Proverbs that were written and set in order by Solomon himself from 1024. Then we have a group that were set in order by the men in the days of Hezekiah. Solomon wrote many more Proverbs than happened to have come to us in this particular book. He wrote some 3,000 of them. We probably have, what, 20% of those here. We just went through chapter 30 with the Oracle of Agor, which we believe, it's open to discussion, but we believe is also just a pen name for Solomon. Uh, added at the end because they're in a slightly different style. That is, they're dark sayings, if you will. And, uh, and one of the things that you'll be challenged to do is to start from what we shared with you last month and carry it from there and see where it goes. Then we have the one we're taking on today, the Proverbs of Lemuel's mother. And uh, so there we are. Now, one of the things that we're going to we need to recognize that all through the book of Proverbs, it highlights what I'll call critical priorities, things that are very important to you. Your second most critical decision in life is your choice of a mate. What's your first most critical decision? Your relationship with the Lord, right on. But next to that, nothing else ahead of it, is your choice of spouse. Proverbs 12 said, A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. Indeed he is. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 18. A prudent wife is from the Lord. And I can testify to that. I'm grateful for my wife's lack of judgment. It's wonderful to have a lovely wife that has the ill fortune to be married to a character like me. Um, I'm very grateful for that. The Bible also says not to be uh, unequally yoked in 2 Corinthians 6 and also 1 Corinthians 7. That's a major emphasis. Very crucial in making a decision. Tragedy occurs by young people who are trying to get together where they're unequally yoked in hopes that somehow it's going to work out. Big mistake. Work that out first. It shocked me to realize, in doing some research here, that a Christian woman who marries an unsaved man may endanger her life in childbirth. 
I don't know how many of you noticed that. You can check it out in 1 Timothy 2 at the end of the chapter. But we'll move on here. Let's go to Proverbs 31, verse 1. The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. So this is usually called in most commentators the words of King Lemuel. But I look at the first verse, I say it's the words of his mother that he happened to remember. Okay? Now, there is no record of any king named Lemuel. The other thing that will emerge here, I'm going to suggest, is that the most important ministry mothers and fathers have is the spiritual training of their children. You can find it all through the scriptures, 2 Timothy 1 and 3 and so forth, on it goes. So if Lemuel is Solomon, and I believe it is, these are the words of Bathsheba, raising him. And I'm not going to insist on that, I may be wrong, but let's try that on and see if that gives us some additional insight of what unfolds here. So here she starts, what my son, see it's in her language by the way, it's King Lemuel writing it, but he's writing it as she taught him, you follow me? What my son, and what the son of my womb, and what the son of my vows. Now that's interesting. I suspect that Bathsheba needed to say something because she saw in her son some of the characteristics of his father. And Bathsheba understood David. She remembered the sin of David. You say, well, wait a minute. She sinned too. Yes, but it's clear the scripture puts that at David's feet, not hers. Now, by the way, um, uh, uh, Samuel, uh, uh, Solomon was named Jedediah, beloved of the Lord, as we called, highlighted last time. Lemuel simply means devoted to the Lord. It's a, it's, it would be a very natural pet name of Bathsheba for her son. It may be a name that only she used of, of him. So I'm going it, it, to, it's my suspicion. Uh, I think this is the first I first came across this in J. Vernon McGee's view, and I, I think he's on onto something here. I think that the more I think about it and read it, 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 it I can see Lemuel being her pet name for her son. I think all of us probably can remember a name that we were called by our mothers that nobody else used. And I think it's that kind of a thing. No, I'm not going to tell you what mine was. <laughs> I think she was conscious of David and the sin of David. Why do I call it the sin of David? Because in Matthew chapter 1 it says, Jesse begot David the king, and David the king begot Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. Notice that in Matthew... Elsewhere, her name will be mentioned. But here, the, um, um, the, the, the text deliberately avoids mentioning her name. It's the, of her that had been the wife of Urias. In other words, the sin was not just the adultery, it was the murder of Urias. It was David's sin. I'm not saying she was innocent, but you know, the, 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 the prime thing is at, at uh, David's feet. In the, in, the same, yeah, in the same way that in 2 Timothy 2... Paul lays the sin in the Garden of Eden at Adam's feet because he was deceived, but Adam was not, he says. Important, subtly, but important. Now, it's also interesting in her remark in verse 2 there, she speaks of him as the son of her vows. He was dedicated to the Lord by, under a vow. That's what Jedediah means, incidentally, in effect. 
So she's giving him some advice. And uh, give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. She apparently saw in her son some of the characteristics that she knew was in David, a tendency in that direction. Then she goes on, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. You know, it really is a tragedy when people in high positions drink. Very dangerous, not just to them, but to the, to the nation. It's really disturbing if you start looking at the statistics of the consumption of alcohol in the, in the District of Columbia. You know, it's, it's bad anywhere, probably. But it's worse there than anywhere. It's a way of life that dulls the sentences and takes advantage. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. In other words, use it for medicinal purposes only. <laughs> okay. And going on. Visualize Bathsheba instructing Solomon. Open thy mouth for the dumb in the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. She's saying, oh, Solomon, be honest and just and fair. The mother to her son. I love the line that Mark Twain uses that Harry Truman liked so well, he hung it over his desk in the Oval Office. Always do right. This will gratify some and astonish the rest. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like Mark Twain? <laughs> then we get into this passage that is so rich that it is enshrined in uh, all kinds of forms in almost any Christian bookstore. You can, uh, the, 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 the virtuous woman, the far above rubies. Who can find a virtuous woman? The word virtuous here means a woman of character of strength, of real ability. It's more than just chastity. It's, it's, it's I mean, you know, uh, virtue in that sense. Um, she's not, and, and, and she's not to be a shrinking violet. For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her that, so that he shall have no need of spoil. In other words, not a spendthrift to squander her husband's money. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. From here we get into a whole side study that suggests that Adam was only half a man until Eve was given to him. That um, you really have Mr. and Mrs. Man as two halves of a composite whole. And that seems to be what God has intended when he says that the two shall be one flesh. And... Uh, from here you can go on and on. And uh, this also raises some other kinds of questions. Um, and we're talking about her. What kind of love should a man show his wife? That's also a key topic of Scripture. And the answer is very clear. The same kind of love that Christ shows the church. And that's modeled specifically in Ephesians 5 from verse 18 on. Very key passage. The husband is to be sacrificial, patient, suffering, tender, Constant. A wife has no problem submitting herself to a husband like that that shows real leadership. 
who loves her and shows it. Happy homes don't just happen. They're the result of hard work, prayer, and real love. And we continue with her. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant's ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth a while while is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considereth a field and buyeth it and with the fruit of her hand she planteth a vineyard. It's interesting that she's obviously a devoted steward, very diligent, very vigilant, very resourceful. It's interesting she runs a night shift. She gets up before it's light and she goes to bed after it's dark, as we'll see shortly. As I was reading this, I had to re realize that I cannot ever remember my mother in bed. She actually went to bed. But I cannot, whenever I got up, and I'm generally an early riser, she was already up. And uh, my, my, my mother was from the old country, very, very diligent, very, very devoted, very, very much exemplar of this also. And uh, Proverbs has a lot to say about laziness, um, whether it involves a man or a woman. And I won't give you all the things, uh, half of your challenge is to go ch search them out. But there are several dozen allusions to the, the, the results of laziness. Continuing with her, she girdeth her loins with strength and strengthen her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good, her candle goeth not out by night. See, man's work is from sun to sun, but a woman's work is never done. She's devoted and generous. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. Now, many of you may have to run to a dictionary to find out what a distaff is. It's basically the staff that holds the flax or wool from which the thread is drawn either by hand or a spinning wheel. If you see a spinning wheel, it's the distaff is part of that. For those, Some of you are nodding because you know what I'm talking about. The rest of you are bewildered and pretending you know what I'm talking about, but okay. But, um, and I didn't know either, except in grammar school I had to be in a play, which had those props as part of the play. Courts of Miles Standish and all that, but anyway. Um, she stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. You know, it's really astonishing to see how much space in the Scripture God devotes to instructing us to take care of the poor and needy. It isn't a footnote here and there. It's an emphasis in everything. We need to not only have compassion for the poor, we should also realize that when we're doing something for them, we're doing it for the Creator Himself. And uh, anyway, that's... She is not afraid of, for the, of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. These are very symbolic labels, of course, in that culture. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. The gates were what we call today a boardroom. That was where things were decided. Uh, that was the, the, the city council and more. She maketh fine linen and selleth it, and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. <laughs> I have vivid memories 
Uh, my parents, of course, see, I was, I was born in 34. My parents were, I came very late in their life, but, but uh, having come through the Depression, they were real. Uh, as an immigrant family, they, they weren't, we weren't hurting, but we were very cautious with our use of resources. And uh, my mother was a seamstress when she first came to this country um, for, uh, ended up uh, being one of the key seamstresses for Warner Brothers. She liked to watch the old movies to see which dresses she made. But uh, she started a little side business of her own where she would make wedding dresses for, for a little extra money. And uh, I remember the day when my dad found out they had something they wanted to do and mom says, no problem, I can do it, I can pay for it. And uh, he was startled at, she had really squirreled away of her, on her own some significant resources to, to allow us to do some things that we were hoping to do. But I remember, the, the, I, could, I, can vis, I can vividly remember the look in his eyes of awe and respect that he, of a resourcefulness he never realized was there. And uh, so uh, it really fits this model very vividly. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. It really is amazing how often idleness and laziness and so forth also pepper this, ent this entire book. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. You notice what he does? I won't ask for a show of hands, guys, but have you done that to your wives? Have you given, you know, one of the, you know what I think is one of the biggest missing elements in families? It's called gratitude. We take each other for granted. In one sense, it's sort of a compliment. In the other sense, it's a crime. Many daughters were done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Boy, does that say it all. How often I've ended a letter to Nan with that phrase. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. You know, it really is astonishing. The best of us tend to put too much value on appearance and not enough on quality. It's just uh, the nature of the male beast, I guess, in many respects. But how crucial it is to get that straight. Favor is deceitful. Indeed it can be. It can be flattery. And beauty is vain and vanishing. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. And that ends the chapter. This tribute to the woman is the crown on the book. Well, let's stand back now, having gone through some of the details, and stand back and see what we can just summarize from this tour that we've taken through the book of Proverbs. It's, of course, part of the wisdom literature. What do we mean by that? Well, in the Old Testament, of course, we have Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Job, and the Psalms. These are called the wisdom literature, particularly some specific psalms. 1937, 104, 107, 147, and 8. Um, but most people would say the whole book of psalms is, is part of the wisdom literature. 
If you're interested in more of that, you can check in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles chapter 1, and the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, excellent passage, and James 3 are in the spirit, if you will, of the so-called wisdom literature that Proverbs exemplifies. Now, the book of Proverbs is God's book on how to wise up and live. And he, he contrasts the scorner, the fool, the simple, with those that are wise. And we'll talk about that in a minute. It's beyond keeping laws. And too often we, gee, is, is it okay to do this? Is it okay to do that? We check laws. No, no. This is far beyond that. We're trying to lead an aggressively dynamic life, and that's what the book of Proverbs is tuned into. Attitudes. It's not what you do and what you don't. It's what your attitude is, proper and improper attitudes, which, of course, will lead to conduct. And all these characteristics are referred to in very succinct, penetrating, I might say, colorful ways. Some of the most elegant collections of ideas on the earth are here in the book of Proverbs. As I... All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, not part of it, all of it. And by inspiration of God, we mean God breathed. God breathed. He superintended the whole process. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction. What do those words mean? Doctrine tells us what's right. Reproof, what's not right. Correction, how to get it right. And instruction, how to stay right. So that nails it from all four sides. Now, the addressees here are my son all the way through here. My son were written by Solomon 15 times and twice elsewhere. 15 times just in the first seven chapters, is what I meant to say. And they're used five times in the sayings of the wise men. That's the collection of the, of the, the wise men that are in chapters 23 and so on. And it's used once by Lemuel's mother, which we believe is Bathsheba. My son's plural occurs four times, all by Solomon. So he's, it's a, more of a family address. The New Testament quotes Proverbs all through the epistles, and, for, and no surprise, but it's worth mentioning. And uh, what do we mean by wisdom? This is wisdom literature. What is wisdom? We, most people say, what's well, the ability to use knowledge in the right way? That's a reasonable instruction, but that's not the way. That's, we're, not, we're not looking at it that way. We're limiting it even more specifically. Because there's two kinds of wisdom. There's the wisdom of this world that 1 Corinthians 2 talks about and James talks about. Uh, and uh, there's divine wisdom from above. Jesus Christ is the personification of wisdom from, of God. We see that in Proverbs 8, very dramatically dramatized. And elsewhere in the epistles, of course. The word for wisdom is chokmah. Occurs 45 times here. Being knowledgeable, experienced, efficient in the areas of expertise is what some people would define it. And, but here it really includes a practical sagacity, mental acumen. But it also includes and really emphasizes moral upright living, which stems from a right relationship with God. That's the key to it. In fact, that leads to the key verse in the whole uh, thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where it all starts and ends. And that, somebody asks you, what's the key verse in the book? Proverbs 9.10 is, is a safe bet. But this also says something else. The Hebrew concept of wisdom is unique. It's very distinctively different than that which is typically used in the world. It is specifically involving, involved with fear of the Lord. And so the whole thing is to get a proper relationship with Him. So it's described as eternal in Proverbs 8. It's, the, it's described as the creator of all things. Jim Dobson at one of our meetings 
once said, what's the first thing that was created? Even before the universe was created, the answer he was going for, looking for was wisdom. It was there from the beginning, before all the other things. It actually was because it was the personification of Christ. Wisdom describes the beloved of God in Proverbs 8. And to yield your life to Christ is to obey him and obey him. To yield and obey him is true wisdom. Something else that strikes us all the way through is just a stylistic structural thing, but it's being, I want you to be aware of it, is the parallelism of ideas. There's synonymous parallelism, antithetic parallelism, and synthetic parallelism. Synonymous parallelism is where the second clause restates what's given in the first clause. We have a lot of those examples we've gone through. Judgments are prepared for scorners and the stripes for the back of fools. Antithetic parallelism is where a truth is stated in the first clause is made stronger in the second clause by a contrast or opposite expression. That's what's it's antithetical, if you will. The light of the righteous rejoiceth, but the lamp of the wicked shall be put out. There's synthetic parallelism, as the last example, where the second clause develops the thought of the first. The terror of the king is as the roaring of a lion. He that provoketh him to anger sinneth against his own life. See, it really gives you the implications of the first clause, if you will. There are three losers that are defined here, three classes of people that desperately need wisdom. The scorner, the fool, and the simple. They're all losers, but they're each different kinds of losers. The scorners mock at God's wisdom because it's too high for them, and they will not admit it because they know everything. How many of you have known a scorner in your life? <laughs> okay. If you haven't seen one, just turn on the news and hear some of these political commentators. The Hebrew word for scorner literally means to make a mouth. <laughs> I like that. We can easily picture them sneering and curling up their lips in scorn. They never profit from rebuke, and as a result, they one day will be judged. The scorners are in deep trouble. You don't want to be a scorner. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Proverbs. Download the K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the iTunes or Android app store, or search K-House TV on your Roku streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.